And we're in. And we're in. All right. So Chris Slide is not joining us this time. This time, this is going to be a chat between Gwen Frey and JC Mohica. Hello. Hello. Are we in the box? We're we're in the dialogue box, Jason. I can do that. <laughs> I can't call you Jason. I always called you Mohika back in the day. Like yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't. you can you can do whatever whatever works. That's fine. <laughs> All right. So for backstory, uh, Mohika and I worked together at Irrational and Bioshock Infinite, and then uh, Irrational closed. We each went our separate ways, and somehow we both end up uh, making indie games. Yeah, indie life. So how does uh, I haven't spoken to you. Jeez, it's since... been since I well I I play tested Kine when I was in Sweden and then uh, it's been about a year and it's been about a, a year and a half or something like that. I don't. But to be fair, like I've been so lost in my own world, I have no idea what happened after Irrational. Where'd you Where'd you go? I know you were like a world traveler for a bit there. <laughs> well, after Irrational, actually, you know, it's lucky about the timing on that um, was that I uh, so Counter Strike like. Valve was introduced gun skins to their game just as that happened. And I made a gun skin for their game and it got accepted as an item. So then I had made enough money from that so that I didn't have to worry about getting a job right away. And instead kind of like self-focused on just like my own personal stuff. And Wait, so you, you like made money making skins for guns? Is that still like a lucrative thing or was that like... I'm sure it's first. lucrative now still even though they stopped the gambling thing. I'm sure it I'm sure it's good. Like I mean people like that stuff and I mean if I could still do it I probably would. I only did one skin so but I feel like the people who got multiple skins in were were amazed. They 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 made off. Like anybody who did items back in the day. I remember when I was working at Raven and one of my buddies was sitting next to me goes, "Yeah, my friend made an item for TF2. It was like a like a little hat for the pyro or something. And he said he made $40,000 in his first check. And I was like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I was like, that that's a lot. I should probably learn how to model and make some things or something. And uh, I mean, it was it was nice. I mean, it's it's a good thing to have. Like, you know, if you are an indie dev, I feel like doing items for Valve is like a really great side job if you can get in. But like at the time, I think there was like 15,000 15, gun skins on the market. And my goal was to go for the ones that nobody wanted to make skins for. And I just happened to like make it in. Oh, but, man. Uh, wow. Yeah, that happened literally like right after right after Irrational. <laughs> then it was like within that month, I got I got accepted. And um, and it let me it let me really relax. But it was like 3 a.m. when all these people started messaging me and they were like, congrats, congrats. And I was like, what? And then I like, I was like in my living room and I like was screaming at the top of my lugs at 3 a.m. And I ran into the bedroom. My, my wife was like, what the hell's going on? And I was like, who's like, we got accepted. Oh my God. And it was, it was, it was so much fun. And uh, I scared the crap out of my cat too. But yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it is like getting Christmas as a dev to some degree. Like it, it, it feels great. Uh, but yeah, so anyways, after that, and, you know, I moved back home for like a tiny bit, I think, but before that, we, uh, um, uh, one of the devs over at, on Payday, his name was David Goldfarb, like he, uh, he reached out and was like, hey, do you want to try moving to Sweden or something? And so, yeah, we took their invitation and we've, uh, they flew my wife and I out there for like a full week and put us up in a hotel and 
we got to hang out at, at the office or just go around the city and do whatever. Um, I checked out their editor. I was kind of like, oh, cool. Like, and turned out, like, I would say most of the level designers knew who I was based on my modding community stuff. So I was kind of like, oh, I don't know you guys, but you know me. That's weird. Oh, that's old school. Is that how you got into game development? Was it being in the modding community? Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, back yeah. in the day, um, Half-Life 2 stuff. And that's actually funny because um, so I'm working on a game called Proteus right now. And uh, it's like an old school retro first person shooter. And my buddy Mike and I uh, were like the two main devs, I guess. Um, we met through the Half-Life 2 community um, when I first got at uh, Raven Software back in the day. Uh, we were working on a game called Singularity. And it turned out that he had worked on a bunch of old school uh, Half-Life 2 mods and like total conversions back in the day that like I was super into. I was like, oh, my gosh, you worked on this. And I was like, ah, I worked on this. You know, <laughs> it was uh, it was good times. Like being a being a modder back in the day was like a weird little badge of honor. But, you know, like modding modding now <laughs> is just you're making indie games. Essentially, you're like a yeah. indie developer. <clears throat> Yeah, I was about to say that is the the transition. So you've basically gone back to modding by going back to making an indie game by making Proteus and stuff. Yeah, I have so many questions about that. By the way, like, yeah. well, you know I, what's interesting uh, about being a, a modder from the back in the day? You know how like when when you were doing modding, it was it was your favorite thing in the day to get up your gray box or your untextured model and just show it off on on the forums or whatever and ask people for feedback or like they're like oh yeah you guys should be excited about our mod because we have all these untextured weapons <laughs> and back in the day that was what people got excited about and that's actually that's actually how mike and i are approaching everything we're doing right now we don't like everybody can see exactly where we are in development because we're always posting like whip shots or i like to post like block out sh uh, shots of my levels yeah, yeah you you yeah. stream development on Twitch too. Yep, yep, um, yep. I've I've seen, yeah, yeah. Wow, I have questions about that too. I have so many questions. I do want to get the timeline down here though, because even I'm confused. So you started out modding. You went to work at Raven. You worked at Irrational. Then you um, went to Payday in Sweden. Won the won the lottery as far as the Valve lottery, and then you went to Payday in Sweden. And then what? Where's the line where you were like, "Fuck it all! I'm gonna kickstart an indie game." Like, where did that start? Honestly, um, so some of my friends that I uh, was hanging out with in Sweden, they quit their jobs and they were doing indie. And, you know, I remember you guys and like pretty much everybody from Irrational kind of like shuddered to different like little studios and kind of created their own things. And yeah, well, there's um, nothing quite like Irrational is the other problem. Yeah. Yeah. No, there wasn't. No, uh, that's a good thing and a bad thing at the same time. But uh, yeah, no, I, rem I remember because I actually went back to... Um, raven so i kind of compare my old studios like this like raven is my is like a nice family place where you want to grow up and like you know get to know everybody they're still around you know i went back there and uh like a few weeks ago and hung out and talked to people um it's really nice and i looked at uh, i looked at raven as sort of like my high school years and then i looked at irrational as sort of like the professional college years of my career <laughs> like where not that i mean we still did a lot of drinking so i guess that kind of checks out <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah there was a lot of that there was also I, I have a hard time explaining this sorry if there's sirens in the background i live in america but mm. um the how do i explain it so i think when i was in san francisco there was always a our goal was to make sure we got money from the publisher or from 
investors and there was always this huge focus on how to get money and how to how to make a product that is successful and then I went to rational and it was like money is just going to happen all we care about is making a good game for the customers all we care about is that this is fun that's it yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. And I, you can't get that in AAA. Not really. Like they, everyone says they have it, but not to that degree where it's like, no, we just, when is this going to ship? When we feel like it. Like yeah. when, when take two <laughs> starts installing people in the studio and makes it ship. Like, yeah, that's no, true. It's true. I mean, when we were working on singularity, uh, like it was gone, it had gone through like, I don't know, four or five years of development. And then the Marvel team, uh, took it over at the very end and that was the team that i ended up on um because it was bouncing around a whole bunch from teams but mm -hmm. the uh but the marvel team ended up finishing it and we got to the point where i think activision was going to cancel it they were like you we're either going to cancel this or you have like less than a year to finish the game or something like that so everybody kind of put on their hard hats and we we just we just made the game uh and it was, yeah, it, it's totally that thing, though. Like, you run out of money, and it's like, okay, shoot, you know, we're on a budget. <laughs> but, yeah, no, Irrational was, they were like, no, we're going to throw as much money as we can at this game, and no matter what, like, it's going to it's gonna come out. And that was such an interesting thing as well. When, when I interviewed and I asked Ken, I was like, hey, Ken, so, you know, how much how much does 2K like have their fingers in this game? Like, you know, are they going to come and tell us to put a third-person cover system in the game or something stupid? And he said, no, it's all me. And at the time, I was comforted by that. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it was good. Uh, but, you know, um, I would say the Payday team, when I was in Sweden, they, that was like sort of a good, I really liked that. We were small. We were scrappy. Everybody had multiple hats. Um, you had to be your own producer, which I found out, like, in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, oh yeah, someone's gonna, <laughs> it was so weird going from AAA to, to, to payday. Cause like, they were like, you know, in, in AAA, it's like, you've got 18 different producers that are like helping you get things done and, you know, just want you to like, kind of do your own thing. And, uh, when I went to payday, it was like, oh, I was like, who's, who's taking care of my assets and, and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, holy shit. They just threw me into the hard knock school I, of like modding. Again. Mojica, I have to admit, I kind of shudder at the idea. Like I personally hate producers. Like I work in tech art. There's, I could speak volumes on like how to oh, I know. dodge ever getting tracked, but I got to say for <laughs> you, man, you always had a tendency to rat hole on what was it at one point you took three days and you made this barrel where if you shoot it it explodes with rockets and there's a percentage chance that one rocket will spin out of control and uh snap to an enemy's neck and then decapitate <laughs> the enemy and like and you I, spent it was like i had i think that was that was after i believe that was after the game was done like we, yeah that, that was, was after leg. content the, lock yeah that was like we the had, last leg or something like that we started some serious conversations with that one <laughs> <laughs> that was when we started locking people out of perforce if i recall yeah, yeah that's funny yeah no i had a good time with that actually um no it had a chance of like going to their knee or something like that and uh that was funny. Oh, i'm pretty God. sure forrest disabled that before the game went live <laughs> uh, yeah. which i i don't i don't hold it against him <laughs> there wasn't enough time to bulletproof it it was just gonna i i recall there was some kind of issues with it yeah yep. oh man it was beautiful though <laughs> yeah no that was fun um i mean that's sort of like also like the modders mentality right kind of making your own stuff and like oh, you yeah. have to 
but like when I think what kind of hardened me a bit more because you know when you're like you said you know when you don't think about the timeline you know and in, in, I guess in that setting there was no real timeline in a lot of ways um, to some degree and when I was in when I was on payday it was all about you know you have this much time and then we're hitting the go button to launch on steam <laughs> and that was that was a legitimate timeline it was okay you have until this thursday on this month to be done with everything in your level playtesting, whatever so get it done and it was like okay cool and then you'd have to sit down and you'd plan everything out from like the vo to the objectives and everything was hand scripted like mm -hmm. except for like the wave system or something like that but all the objectives were handwritten hand scripted like they had to like coincide with all these other events and I mean it was it was a lot of work. I mean yeah. a lot a lot of work. And I mean being hand scripted I don't think is a problem for a lot of these games. I mean I I, I go back and forth on this because I feel like we there's so many times I see these systems being architected to be these massive systems that end up becoming I don't want to say I think it's important that people have these kind of side projects that they're passionate about, like you with the barrel or like, uh, I mean, obviously I've had several, everybody's got their like baby hobby project, right? Sure. But what you see a lot is, uh, especially if like a group of programmers get together and they make hmm. a, this, this heavy system, you can end up with something that's kind of like a, a solution looking for a problem. Yep. You can end up with like, like we had this at, on Bioshock Infinite, we had that, um, Wow, I'm spacing on it now. The the system where any AI could see a location and then they could walk like there every the idea was every object in the game, like a chair would have a locator on it and AI walking by could see that locator and then it would pull up a series of smart terrain. That's right, it was called smart terrain. Oh yeah. Uh and then they would know, "Oh, I can sit in this chair in this way or this way or this way." And it was supposed to be this like this this thing where all we had to do was one time, like it was this massive system it's, that was meant for a game uh, like Assassin's Creed. Maybe yeah, it's like too much, too much, too much. <laughs> and it it wasn't fun. It and it in the end, like when the rubber hit the road, it didn't add value to the game. I don't think, and it didn't. Mm. I mean, the we ripped out the bones, and we ended up every time we used smart terrain, it was scripted, right? Like in well, the for end, Elizabeth, it wasn't. She kind of did some math oh, in her that's brain. True. Which, because I was a part of the list squad towards the end, list squad. <clears throat> but uh, no, actually, uh, I was thinking about that the other day because um, I know that your your little company is called Chump Squad, and I and I totally dig that. <laughs> the uh, and it's you're funny gonna be one of the four people to get that reference. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get it because I did like some of the initial, like I remember talking to Robertson. Yeah, Sean. Um, I remember sitting there and thinking like, Hey, dude, we're never gonna get people on the screen. Uh, this was really early on, and I, I don't know if it was it was either just as you joined or something like that, but I was like, yeah, man, um, we really need to try something to get things working, and I don't know, they were thinking about it, but I just, I threw a bunch of skill, I actually have this video on one of my per, per, private portfolio pieces or whatever, but uh -huh. it's essentially one of the old um, boardwalk hubs, it looks really gross, and um, I basically just put skeletal meshes everywhere. And this was when they were not one piece. They were like five or different, whatever. You remember how like we had that problem where you had to like merge them all into like one piece so that they were all one person or something. Are you talking about the clump system where you had five people on one rig? 
Yeah, or, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I had I had. We actually done didn't a, do that everywhere. We only needed that for the crowd, uh, like a, certain crowd actors and certain things, and like the that baseball scene. Right. Yeah. Well, we had the. Um, so we I basically just did like a scripting test where I had all of these fake actors everywhere, and then we had the maximum number of humans walking around in the space, which was like I think it was eight, and you could toggle it on and off. And I remember recording that video and being like, yeah, we should do skeletal meshes or something. And and they were all like, oh, yeah, this this looks good. Like, we should we should try something. So I, I might have, like, inadvertently caused that that sort of, like, weird chain of events. But, uh, yeah, that was a that was such a long time ago. But, yeah, it was funny. Like, I mean, we just had little little things like that in the game that were that were so vast. But you didn't need like at the time you didn't need like a super in-depth system <laughs> but yeah. uh but uh thankfully you were there to sort of like take that mantle yeah well yeah it was i had a great time at irrational and i i didn't mean to you know i feel bad now shitting on smart terrain because the reality is like you're right we did repurpose that later for uh everything was repurposed yeah. like we repurposed that later for liz or like uh, I think I've said this one before, but the voice of silence we made, I think oh, we, right. I made that, you know, what, like four days. And it was because we had this underlying tech that was this turret that got caught from the game. Oh, do you like, so we there was turrets the, in the game. We had those little metal ones, right? Did we like, ship with those? We had little metal robots because in the very beginning of the, uh, yeah, I remember that. We did have some, but I do remember them having the boys of silence were like, like an older mesh that was from a different idea or something. And we were like, yeah, this will work really great somewhere in the game. <laughs> and yeah. Patrick took, took them and, and really ran with that concept for that whole uh, level towards the end of the game, which I, I thought was really great. You know, I never saw how they actually implemented the Boys of Silence because it was so really busy. Yeah. So oh like I gosh. set it up and I was like, oh, I set it all up in a test map. I'm like, all right, now there's this thing. He'll like listen. And I we managed to, I think I could, we bang that out with like four animations. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Uh, and it was just, all it is, is it's a turret reskinned with a different skeletal mesh, which is this Boys of Silence <laughs> skeletal mesh. Do you know why that happened? So the Boys of Silence were cut. We weren't going to have it in the game, but the marketing department, nobody told the marketing department and oh, they had no. toys made and shit. What? And they announced it online. And then we were, <laughs> and then somebody, and this was like one week before content lock. And I'm told oh like, yeah, gosh. make Boys of Silence happen. It was like, what the shit? Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, oh, they actually gosh. ended up being really scary in the game. Uh, Patrick did like a really cool thing with, I mean, he basically like, they're sort of like, okay, like imagine you come into a room and everybody's sleeping, but there's one boy of silence like in the middle, right? And he, and he just kind of listens and he's basically, yeah, he's like a turret. He like kind of scans the room. And if yeah. you get into he's his, like. scan back and forth. Yeah. See, and then he'll it's scream. exactly a turret. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. No, I that that's amazing. That's awesome. Uh, it kind of reminds me. Uh, also, like I have I have my own like like oh no story. <laughs> the um, <clears throat> so uh, we were making. I guess you know where Shock Jockey was like the power up where you would throw crystals and it would power things or whatever. It was like mm -hmm. a um, I don't know. We it was the it was the trap vigor. It would had like the electrical bolt or whatever, and um. As designers, we wanted like a receptacle or something that you could shoot it with, and then it would power something like a door or or whatever. And I had made this like temporary thing, and it looked temporary, uh, at least to me it did. And it was it was like it had two wheels shoved in the ground, and it was using some kind of like Tesla 
glass bulb thing and I had it all scripted and everything and no one ever came to me or asked me any questions about it. We just had a few of them and people were kind of using them here and there. And uh, Robertson came up to me one day and was just like, hey, we made that model for you. And I was like, what model? And he was like, oh, the shock jockey model, the thing in the, uh, you know, with the with the Tesla bulb. And I was like, what? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you made that for me? I was like, did, did you guys concept out anything? He's like, no, we just kind of used the basic shape of whatever you had there. And I was like, really? <laughs> so in the game... It looks, it just, it's just funny looking, but it's just a big hourglass looking like thing. And it, it looks so close to like the original, like, <laughs> like blockout meshes that I used. Uh, and that was like one of my, that was like one of my moments where I was like, oh, I should really make things look more temp than, than, than I normally do. Or just, or become a, you know, you moved in the other direction though. Like you started modeling things and you won the valve lottery. So it all panned out in the end, right? <laughs> Either make it look really temp or make it look serviceable, man. Whatever. Yeah, I realized that like that was that was one of my harsh lessons. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like I'm never gonna like now now the secret's out. But yeah, I held that close to my chest for a long time. I was like, oh, I can't tell anybody. <laughs> good times. Well, it all worked out. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, the, one of the side things too about so after just to kind of jump back a little bit. So after payday though, you know, and I came back. Um, I already had a plan to to work with Mike on on Proteus, but uh, one of the creative directors on Bioshock Infinite, Jordan uh, Thomas, he Jordan runs Thomas. his own studio with Stephen Alexander and Kane, um, and they uh, they're running a, a uh, their company is called Question, and I joined them for a little bit uh, as design to work on a game called The Blackout Club, which is really cool as well. I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but it's I haven't. definitely... I played like, Magic Circle, and I think even just the opening there, I was like, what? <laughs> you can feel Steven Alexander. Like, he is... <laughs> yeah. Dude, Steven Alexander is just like... You know, he did the uh, water effects in the Flame of the Flood and stuff. Oh, really? We were like, we could figure this out, and it will take us a week. Or we could just ask Steven Alexander, effects shader god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that is so Steven. The, um, yeah, I, I actually finished the game i finished uh completely like the the magic uh circle and it blew me away and it also scared the crap out of me too as i played it just because like as a developer it it spoke in so many different wavelengths that i think a normal person playing it would just be like oh okay whatever but then like you're like oh my gosh there's it feels so dark <laughs> and like scary how much of that is that you know the backstory of jordan thomas and Irrational games. There's it's it's both. It, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack there that I I don't think that I don't think that you're generally supposed to unpack. It's just supposed to play the game and enjoy it, which I did, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, so I'll just say that. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, I do feel like Jordan Thomas like definitely made a game that about what he was feeling and thinking. I yeah, think. that was a that was a really awesome passion project from them, and really amazing stuff. Also, but the, you were on uh, their you're on their new game though, right? Like the yep. the horror one. Yeah, it's a four player co op um, where you're you're like basically these kids. It's it sort of feels like Stranger Things, the co op game. Um, it's it's really great. Um, I enjoy playing it. I actually really enjoyed working on it as well. It was a uh, it's just a really cool thing. Like the uh, the I guess the idea is that you know nobody believes the kids like the parents don't believe them like the police nobody believes them and you're trying to unravel this mystery in the town and it's it's just really cool and there's 
there's some really, really neat things that they're doing. I can't mention um, just because of the way that it's done, but it's basically fairly revolutionary in terms of how games. I mean, I'm, I'm, I guarantee you, games are gonna be like done like this in the future. But it was something else, and ooh. oh shit, I gotta play that. The Black Eyed <laughs> Club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's um. It's interesting. Uh, yeah, it would. I, I wish I could talk more about it. But yeah, I mean, you could look on on their, you could look up some things and you would find some really really interesting uh, tidbits. I just don't want to spoil anything. Right, but yeah, sorry. it's definitely like one of those things that I was like, wow, if this works, this is gonna be you, like the future of games. <laughs> do you have to play co op or can you play like solo? You I can play no solo. Friends. It's just okay. really hard. Um, like yeah, I play solo, but I have a high level, so the game is difficult. But I think there's there's definitely like a misconception. Like you you can play stealth, and the game the game encourages you to play stealth, but it also encourages you to kind of sprint and outrun things. And I don't think that people understand that, so it becomes very difficult for people in uh, in some ways. But yeah, you, you definitely can just like sprint uh, a lot. And I would I would say that would be like my helpful tip would be that to not just crouch walk the entire game um, i see yeah i will but, i will keep that in mind when i inevitably play it because you know i will God. <laughs> it's fun i mean yeah just let me know um uh and i'll, I'll play with you too because like it's it's a fun game to play with with friends and like to do stuff and like because <laughs> yeah you'll you'll be like you'll like trank uh, um, somebody in their pajamas, like you know, like there's like somebody's mom is walking around, and you can like sleep dart them, and then one of your buddies can like carry their body away so that like the um the boogeyman doesn't see it, basically. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, otherwise it gets eaten. Yeah, no, it's great. Uh, okay. No, that's that's a that's one of the that's one of the best parts of the game too. So no, it's cool. I worked on that with them and um kind of stopped i think a little earlier this year basically because i had to like full force go on my game yeah you know? so what so you were in sweden so you were like i need how where is the inception of this game like where did you, you saw everybody else going indie you wanted to be cool like when i guess <laughs> Basically, you yeah, are. I mean, I mean, you're from the modding community. Like the indie, <laughs> the indie stuff is newer to me. In all seriousness, you're more like going home when you went indie. You're like, this yeah. is right. Yeah, no, this yeah. feels good. Yeah, no, honestly, you guys were. I mean, you, everybody who had gone indie. I mean, especially you. Um, you know, everybody was really feeding this like indie vibe, and I kind of was just gonna go and do my own thing, do some Unreal uh, vibe stuff. Like, I, even though I know that's not super lucrative, like I, I love the vibe and I love working in VR. It's actually one of my favorite things to do. And um, I, when I did it, I just spilled coffee like four times in the span of a month. <laughs> like, I was listening to one of your last podcasts where you said that you would throw up when you played Portal Two, oh, and I, yeah. I wanted to like just. I felt bad because those are some great games. <laughs> they the are. Yeah. It's the combination. And, and you know, it's like the comedy. It's a bright game without. I, I, I mean, there's a gun there. But so in theory, that should help if you have something in the middle of the screen. But that's never right. been the thing for me. And uh, the it's the post proc and you turn. It's the fact that you're fucking with gravity. Like yep, this is yep. designed to make me ill. Yeah. As I couldn't much imagine I doing that it. in VR. That would be bad. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they're still trying to figure out, like, 
VR was fascinating when it first came out because they were still trying to figure out just the basic, how do we move? What is it? What are the right. interface? It's like when, before the keyboard, who invented the keyboard or before right. the typewriter or, uh, you know, coming up with um, coming up with the first version of a thing. Um, yeah. And you can like still what, kind what of feel that with good, the touch controllers yeah. and people still iterating on like what the what the interfaces are for VR. Yeah, no, and it totally makes sense. And I think, I mean, honestly, I wish it was a little little more mainstream right now still like i know that it feels like it's dying out um but i'll always still like work on it because it there's i mean you know how you say you like you use blueprint a lot right and i mean mm-hmm. i do too and i and i love doing that that's i i don't know how to code but i love blueprint and uh there's this moment you know when you're working in blueprint where it goes right and you're like oh man that feels really cool i'm like that's so cool like it came to life in front of you like you can multiply that times a hundred in vr like i i haven't i have never felt that same way that i have in vr when i picked up my own like i made a robot that needed a battery or something and i picked up the battery and i inserted it the proper way like plus is plus minus is minus and then it turned on and it like started animating in front of me and i and i felt like like a developer god <laughs> i was like i like remember like reaching my hands in the air and being like i have created <laughs> like it, 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 it feels so visceral in vr when you're doing it and it's in front of you it it's just something weird about that like i don't know it's, don't it's know. really cool <clears throat> like i i enjoyed certain parts of it i think have you been in something where you were down to the nitty-gritty details though or what do you mean like uh, i don't know working in vr all day it messes with your appetite. It makes you feel weirdly sweaty. Like, <laughs> I, like I, I don't know how to explain. If you spend an eight-hour day in VR, it's kind of unpleasant. And it, that you really, sure. you rapidly, like the first time you put the battery in the teddy bear or whatever, it's like, yeah, that's good. But when you're doing, you're troubleshooting, like specifically why there's a millisecond lag when you're putting the, you know, whatever in the what. Like when you're down to, I need to fix the elbows in this character because sometimes it, if you move the controllers at weird angles. Oh then, yeah, know, well that I weird. mean. Like, and you're in the V, like, I can handle the problem solving stuff on PC, but spending eight hours in VR, taking the headset on and off, on and off, your appetite gets messed with your, and I'm not kidding, like, you just sweat. Like, (laughs) I I don't know what the deal is. I don't know about you, Gwen, but I I didn't, I didn't constantly put my headset on and off. (laughs) Like, they were like, so like the, one of the things that I learned early on was that you could just press the headset against your chest and then the sensor would register that there was something there. So I would just have it in my lap and then I would always make sure that my camera was facing the thing that I needed to check. So I would just tilt the glasses up and put it on my chest and then wave my hands around to see if things would work. And then if it didn't, then I just put it back down and keep working so I guess that was like one way that you could do it, but there is definitely like an issue where if you just wear the headset on your head the whole day, that would be, I could see getting sweaty all the time. <laughs> I have amazing trapezius muscles now. <laughs> no, I only did that for like a month, so it was whatever. But like, yeah, I, I can definitely see the appeal of VR, especially if you're a pure, because des- you're a pure designer, like you're a designer. Jason, I don't know if you know that about yourself. Uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I'm learning this for the first time here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the uh, where was I going with this? So the appeal of VR, I can definitely see how that must be. Like inventing the next keyboard, inventing the next thing. But why? We we keep missing the the boat here. Why? We 
you decide to make Proteus. Did Proteus come first or did you you want to, did you start with like, hey, you and me should collaborate, let's make a thing. And then you came up with Proteus. Like, how did this all begin? Yeah. So um, really late in 2017, I would say um, I was kind of just, you know, I had worked on a lot of payday and I was kind of done with it. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be done after this, this last level. And my last level was actually my first bank map that I ever made for the game, which is super funny because it's a game about robbing banks that we never, anyways. So, uh, <laughs> so I finally made a bank level and then I was like, all right, I'm done. I've, 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 I've checked it off my list and I, um, I went, quit. And just as I finished quitting and I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do? And what do I, you know, how do I want to do things? And uh, I had a bunch of ideas and I still do have those ideas. I just have like a notebook of ideas that I want to work on. And I've got a bunch of prototypes. But um, I I always told myself that I would reach out to my buddy Mike. Because Mike, um, you know, we've, we've had this history and everything. And um, Mike is, is a Stephen Alexander. So it okay, works. Okay, so multidisciplinary artist <laughs> focused on effects and shaders? Yeah. He, um, he's a high poly modeler, low poly. I mean, he does everything. Like mm -hmm. he, he literally does everything. He, he's coding our level editor. He's coding the game. He'll take coding, the character. So in C++, cause you're in Unreal Engine, right? Or in Blueprint? No, we're in, we're in Unity. Um, in so Unity. He, yeah. Well, what I was trying to say earlier was like, so I don't actually use Unity because he built a level editor for me and I'm always like, I want this feature. I want this feature. Don't do this, do this, do this. And you can try and make this intuitive. And Whoa, you can build a level editor in Unity? Yeah, so it it actually works in the game. So the main menu has the level editor in it. And every level that we make for the game is made with that level editor. Um, that uh, was sort of one of my like core principles was like, if we're going to make a level editor, I've got to just be in it all the time. No I take matter it what. you're definitely going to have allow modding in this game you're definitely gonna have a modding community of your own yeah sure i mean we um one of the one of the core goals is that we have a community thing that we're like a, a light version of the workshop steam workshop that we're trying to get made um that will ship with the game and you'll be able to upload share kind of like a mario maker type thing where you make a make a level then you upload it people can download it comment on it whatever uh but it'll it'll reach a little further than that like people can make um, assets and things like that, like in the game. So the, the way that it works is like, uh, we won't be allowing like custom content to be uploaded, uh, but you can still mod for the game. You can do all that and share files on websites and stuff, but the community stuff that gets uploaded, the, the way that it works is that everything, um, in our game gets made into a text file because mm -hmm. it just reads the, uh, it reads the assets from the game. So every level and everything that you can do will just be like a small text file that gets uploaded to the server and you can download it really quick. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's great. And I love and working a, in the editor too. It's a first person shooter, right? Yep. Yep. Like uh, we should probably cover the basics for people who have no idea. <laughs> yeah. So Proteus is, is a retro first person shooter, sort of like harkening back to the days of like, you know, Doom and Quake and, and stuff like that. And we have uh, some really nice, pixelated like dynamic rendered pixel stuff like it renders it from 3d into a sheet on the fly so like all the sprites get <laughs> lighting correctly and everything like that oh, it's a uh, do you have a tech art nerd at the helm is it just yeah. the two of you <laughs> yeah well so it, uh, me and my buddy mike uh voler uh we're the main developers and then we've uh because we did the kickstarter thing right which we can get into in a little bit i guess uh we were able to 
contract out more help. So I've got another guy from the Doom community. His name's Dragonflyer, Josh O'Sullivan. He um he's a really awesome mapper, and he's been pick picking up the tools and making making levels for us. And then we also uh, were able to get uh, a character artist to come in and, and sort of help out because like Mike needs to be able to split his time. So we have somebody making characters so that he can make new level editor things for me. <laughs> um, and we also have a really sick uh, composer. His name is Andrew Holschultz. He's done a lot of really great uh, stuff back in the day for like, uh, I mean, just all kinds of stuff now uh, for like Dusk and a Medieval, um, all these retro uh, FPS games that are coming out right now, essentially, uh, and he's awesome. Is there? Yeah, I was about to say we we can go into a lot of stuff here. Uh, I know, I'm excited. First, <laughs> first, let's start with your let's start with your timeline. So, when did you begin? Oh, okay. So it was in oh, late yeah, we, 2017 that you decided to <clears throat> to do this. You reached out to Mike. How long was it just the two of you? Uh, for a long time, um, up until I would say early 2019. I guess early this, January, so, this. and that's also when you kickstarted. So it was just the two of you until the Kickstarter. Uh, yeah. Well, we um we reached out to one of our level designer dudes ahead of time so he can start getting used to the editor. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I know it was just just the two of us. I mean, we, you know, I mean, you gotta have to be smart about your progress and you know how you're gonna do things. And we have some pretty big ambitious goals for the game, and we just need to. You know, the producer side of me is like, okay, well, we're going to have to cut these down into smaller releases. Like, early access will just be single player. And then, you know, later down the line, when we do full release, it'll have multiplayer. We'll do the console ports and, and everything like that, mm -hmm. which I'd be interested to talk to you about as well. <laughs> Maybe like off off of this, but yeah, uh, as we, yeah, outside of done. the box. <laughs> I've just yeah. realized, like, I don't think I can do Japan right now. Like, that's where my life is. We'll talk Wait, about Japan. That. Okay. Yeah, like you need like a zero rating. You need to like, uh, yeah, in certain countries, you need like a publisher in that country. It's like a whole fucking. Yeah, we've gotten people reaching out to us about Japan. Like there was a there was a publisher in Japan that was like, oh yeah, we we want to do that. So I have to keep all these people on on my like Rolex or whatever. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> Rolodex to be like, oh yeah, so this is a guy from Japan. Uh, Japan. Let me let me go talk to him. Yeah, uh, it's, yeah it's it, a just, lot. it just does suddenly become a lot of like work like that. But that's later. And I think it's smart to start PC, especially if you're leaning into the modding community. I think that's much bigger on PC. Yeah, for sure. Well, the the, the big thing from for me um, would be to get the game out on Switch uh, is it is a big deal because As being able to. Yeah. Uh, could you imagine they don't have that many on their on their console right now, but also the fact that our game is like the level structure is set up in such a way that you can just jump on the bus, play a map and be done with it. Like mm. it's, it's really small. It's not like a three hour, like straight experience You're You break it down. And then when you're doing the community maps, you can download a few community maps onto your switch and then immediately play them when you're on the go. Mm. It's, it's going to be super great. And the um you know you'll build your levels on pc and then you can just put them on your switch and then play them on the bus or whatever i mean this it's going to be great and then also you you know being able to do multiplayer as well would be a big deal in co-op mm -hmm. or whatever so yeah I mean, okay i'm excited about that but yeah so let me um let me finish that one thought uh <laughs> so the when i quit and i was like yeah let me reach out to mike because i've always wanted to do something with mike and he's like well i got this idea i've been kicking around 
um, and he sent me like this little this little tiny demo, um, and it had like the sprite thing going on, and I was like, oh, this is this is cool. Like I I want to like I don't know. Like he showed it to me like a little earlier than that, and I was like, eh everyone's making doom stuff at the moment <laughs> and, and i was like nah. but then when when i finished and i was like yeah you know what i i could totally dig this and i just went 100 percent in and that i mean the rest is kind of history we've just uh we now have the company which is bounding box software um it's kind of split down the center between the two of us and we're just yeah we're just working hard every so day you formed an llc you worked yourself uh, you worked very, very hard to get this prototype together and to get your Kickstarter together. You kickstarted successfully quite well. Yeah. How much did you make off your Kickstarter? <laughs> uh, so it was 105,000. Uh -huh. uh, and I mean, we kind of netted, I guess, 95. And then we're still uh, doing the physical reward stuff. So that, that'll probably take out a chunk as well. But yeah, <clears throat> yeah. But yeah no, it's, it's, it's going really great. Uh, we can talk about the Kickstarter if you want to. I would love to. I'm sorry about the traffic <laughs> in the background today. It's too hot yeah. to not have the window so closed. But yeah, let's um let's talk about the Kickstarter. What I man, I've done this too. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. How much were you involved in that in that process? Because like essentially the Kickstarter was just me uh, for the most part. Like Mike did stuff during it. Like he was doing game development while the Kickstarter was going. Uh, but a lot of the a lot of the work was just it was just me like doing everything and it was a lot of work <laughs> well i mean we we basically stopped being a studio for the month that we were kickstarting mm -hmm. so that we could all focus on it because it just took so much yeah i don't know it just takes so much like it does I, and it for it wasn't like, just a month either it was like the month before or like a few weeks before and mm -hmm. then uh, obviously like i guess about two weeks afterwards and i'm still dealing with like i have to get people like roles on kickstarter um like the surveys haven't finished yet so i'm still just doing a lot of stuff by hand yeah um but there's a know. lot of that fulfillment will like i i've spent quite a bit of time in fulfillment later on <clears throat> by the time you actually come out everybody will have you'd be shocked at how many people who have just changed their emails because right. they they do kickstarter with their college email or something and then they just don't have that email and also <laughs> they've moved and you can't reach them and then you end up like you say you're going to ship all the t-shirts on one day and on, on one specific day, but you know, like several, like a year later, you're still sending out t-shirts. <laughs> like it's just a never ending thing. I don't know if I would do it again. I do know like we did during the Kickstarter, we divided up the labor. Like, um, uh, let me think. I think Chad had like the steam forums. Good old Chad. And I, th uh, something steam else. Forums. Well, or was it I'm trying to remember what everybody had? I know I had like Reddit um, and Forrest mostly did TweetDeck, but I had to take over TweetDeck some days. Um, what do you mean by um, like, like just posting things on Reddit or uh, yeah, like you had your own questions. Reddit? Oh, okay. uh, we, we just did stuff throughout the entire month. Like we just did a, uh, an AMA on Reddit. We just um, <coughs> like we did everything we could to get the word out because we didn't have you know, this is basically us saying, hey, we, we exist. Also, we're yeah. doing this, like, in one big go. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's good that you guys had the ability to split that up. As, uh, Mike Mike is kind of like, he he's not antisocial, but I'm basically the social person on the team that will go out and 
talk with everybody. Like I run the discord. I run like, so every time there was like a, like a Reddit thread or whatever, like I was, I felt like I was like in the matrix, just constantly like tabbing over to things and like answering questions, sending things to Mike, like Mike, answer this, do this, do this. And like, it was all over the place. Oh yeah. my gosh. We had constant, like the emails were constant. It's the same thing when you launch too, by the way, it's a similar feeling. Uh, oh, I will God. say now that I've done both, like you, there's just a never ending supply of emails. There's a never ending supply when you launch of people requesting keys for free, like shit oh, yeah. tons of key requests. You have to vet them out because some of them are actually YouTubers and some of them are pretending to be famous YouTubers and some of them have are YouTubers with two followers. Like, yeah, I, I basically went through like, so you know, like, so in terms of like our Kickstarter, we were, you know, everybody's kind of starts out strong and then it kind of like dips in the middle. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right when we were dipping in the middle, we, uh, we kind of looked outward into the community and we got a build together. We, we made specific builds for YouTubers that had their name in it and everything. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we would send them off and we sent out, I think, 10 total. And we were worried because they were essentially the first people to play the game. Like, it's kind of weird. Like, we we did some playtesting internally, but they were, like, the first one. So, we were it was like a coin toss. It was kind of like, all right, well, you know how you stare at your game for such a long time? You have no idea if, if it's good or not. Um, well, these people, they, they were playing the game, and we didn't hear back from them in, like, two days or three days. And then all of a sudden, um, this one guy was like, he was like, I- I'm going to butcher this. He's like, hey, Sonny Jims, I uh, hope you like my, you know, who's uh, G-Man Lives? And it, this guy who basically, the YouTubers who specialize in old school retro FPS is <laughs> what we ended a, up with. There's a group of people in the world whose special, whose purpose, like what they do in life is to <laughs> make YouTube content about specifically retro first person shooters yeah and, and the genre is big enough to support these people because yeah. there's more than one okay yeah yeah it's crazy um and they all do their own takes and it's really great and so when this guy uh uh g-man lives when he put his his video out there it got like i don't know like one hundred and twenty thousand views in like the first like day and a half and our kickstarter went up by like thirty thousand dollars or something overnight and we we reached our goal like almost immediately and because he gave it like a pretty much a glowing review he said he really liked it um and kind of gave us like the up so it made me realize that like oh yeah people who have like a specialized youtube are essentially like the ones that you really want to go to because we had a few people who had way more followers than than he did but they were generalized and when their videos went out it I don't know. It only got like like two thousand views or three thousand views, so it was it was really strange to see that kind of like. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna caution you right now because you're doing yeah. something that I did a lot early on, which is mm-hmm. to <clears throat> look at data, especially when you've got like a sample size of seven or ten, and extrapolate meaning from it. Yeah, and I think you, I suspect you're right, and your hunch is totally right here. Um, it, like in this case, I think you're doing it right, but I think. Ner- as nerds, especially nerds who are like spending years of our lives making a thing, yeah. uh, and who desperately like 
want to be successful making that thing and have no idea if it's going to be successful or not, we tend to like really draw a lot of conclusions about numbers and it starts really simple, like what you're doing here. And it becomes insane. Like where you're like, <laughs> uh, you, you become like, like you're cra- trying to crack the fucking Da Vinci code based on your wish list <laughs> to genre, <laughs> you know, like you, there well, is a, there's yeah. a, th- I, I'm not saying you're doing it. I'm saying I'm cautioning you because this, this road starts here and goes to dark places. Like, <laughs> I'll be, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. <laughs> that's a good, that's a good, uh, forewarning. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I try not to stick into numbers too much because of that reason. Like I've seen designers that are all about data but then when I look at their data that they're using, I'm like, well, this is incomplete data. Like you're not even using this data or that data to justify like these reasons. And it, but I'm just like, I'm like, whatever. Like, but if, if, it, it, if it's working, it's working. If it's not, it's not. And, you know, and you just kind of have to, you know, not look too deep into it. In a know? way, it's good sometimes because it gives you confidence. I think. I think it's <laughs> yeah. a, it, whatever quiets the fear in your mind so that you can work is probably a good thing. <laughs> yeah some for point. sure so for sure. yeah because like when you're you, the doubt gets to be a lot or it's yeah. good when it's keeping you in a place where you're making progress and you're happy it's bad when it's bringing you down i guess yes. it's, it's like all things right yeah yeah i mean i i've definitely I, i've realized that like so i do a lot of like introspective thinking sometimes like in the morning like i'll think like well why is why is this happening versus this or, you know, whatever. I'm trying to think about all these different factors that are happening right now, like over Discord or Twitter or whatever. And one of those, one of the things was that, that feeling of like that doubt that you, that crushing doubt that can happen when you're not confident in something. And I've realized that I haven't really had that recently. And it's probably because like, you know, we have this small group of people that are telling us that they really like the game or that they really want it, right? Mm-hmm. And to some degree, that's a good thing to have, you know? And on the other side, it's a bad thing to have because it can lull you into a false sense of, like, security. Because um, if everybody that buys your game is the people in your Discord, you're still going to die hungry, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So <laughs> making the-, the perfect <laughs> game for exactly those couple people is maybe not ideal. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always been that that person to to shun away from like good like vibes, almost like I don't know, maybe it's just like my personality. But when there's just a bunch of people telling me that it's good, I'm immediately like, it's probably not good. I need to work harder <laughs> on this. Well, that's, that's also human nature. You you remember the bad stuff more than the good stuff because true. it's more important to remember the bad stuff, not because it's necessarily true, but because that's the uh, how do I put it? You can that's like, the stuff learn that can hurt it. you in yeah, like yeah. the wild. Um, and yeah, there is. Uh, how do I put this? So I've noticed artists are more willing to critique art and say what they feel about art, but less likely to tell you that like um, a design is bad. Mm-hmm. Whereas designers yeah. are like the opposite. <laughs> Right. People, so true. People understand so true. like you need advice that's as uh, true and honest as possible within my discipline. But in the other disciplines, I totally understand you can't hack it there. And it's like, no, wait, you're projecting, actually. <laughs> like, <laughs> <if> you... <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like one of the things that I've, I think 
like early on I was I would give feedback about literally everything and then I realized that doing that doesn't really help anything like you need to specialize or you need to like for me it would be focusing the feedback like on design for example I mean you could mention you know art for for like here and there but overall like you know it's the game has to be fun so you're you know generally that's where my mindset is at but I totally get that and it's it's kind of a funny thing uh, but yeah no I think having having that sort of like crippling doubt is always good to just kind of push you into really getting your game done and driving the, home like wow yeah. if you can use it for that for me the uh the thing that drives it is like having a deadline that i can't move and fear of missing that deadline <laughs> yes <clears throat> that's the main that's the main one that yeah you have to kind of wrap the two together in some way um not not too close but yeah like i think for me the deadline or the idea of early access has put like me on edge i'm just like okay i, I want to make sure that you know we get this done what else do we need done over here like we need to get this community thing made uh, i've got to do the kickstarter stuff we got to mm -hmm. put out another thing over here um it's just gonna be it is like a lot of work and uh but yeah having that sort of like thing that kind of pushes you towards that um you know that oh i've got to i've got to do something today like right after this podcast uh, like i'm going to go back to work <laughs> yeah. you have know? got your that's the thing that's helpful for me is to have like a list in the morning of everything i'm going to do that day <clears throat> like oh, a yeah. physical list where i cross things off i feel that way too but yeah i've where, got my little book like right here yeah. <laughs> yeah where you differ from anything i've ever done is um multiplayer building a community i, I know so i'm making a puzzle game i i'm I have a Discord now for fun, but for the most part, I don't think it's, I, I could be totally wrong, but I don't think building a community is as important if you're making like single player puzzle games, for instance. Oh, versus that's where you're wrong. You, I am? <coughs> yes, sir. You are totally wrong. <laughs> I did see a talk by um, Alexis from Weather Factory where he was like, having a community is the most important thing. I don't know why I feel about that. I hate being distracted by... I'm already distracted by everything, so maybe I should shut the hell up. But like, <laughs> what? what I, uh, but okay. see, uh, the the way that you should be looking at this, Gwen, is that you are Gwen Frey, and that this is and, and that this is going to sound so stupid, but it's so true. It's you're, it's not about necessarily the game; it's about you as a developer. And <laughs> well, I think um, and I, and I there was a talk that I I watched that kind of solidified my own thoughts on this, but it it is about so like you're building yourself as a brand to some degree, and I hate I hate I hate saying that like I think it sounds so cheesy and so stupid, but in reality, like you know, people will remember Gwen Frey uh, versus like I think what's good about that is that they'll want to play more of your games. It's like Terry Kavanaugh. Like I know all his games, mm -hmm. but I know him because like, I like him as a developer or Zachtronics. It's like, Oh, I really like Zachtronics games. And you know, that's, that's like his name, you know? And um, to me, it's really great to have that because one of the things that I've noticed is that like, I'll find some games that I, I really like, but I don't know who's behind them, you know? And then eventually it's like, oh, I look at the credits. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I really love that person and like what they do. But like, I didn't know that they were even working on this. Mm -hmm. But I love that that moment of like, oh, this is the next game coming up by this person. It's like, oh, I can't wait to help like support them and be a part of that, you know, game. And 
that's um, a, to me, that's, that's where very, it kind of comes from. I know, and I get the idea behind that. And there's a lot of indies that are very successful doing that. And I do think, like, I see the appeal. And I, to be fair, I waffle on this like daily, like how yeah. how important this is. But to me, the there's a purity to selling the product rather than yourself. There's a and yes, you see in the indie space a lot of people put themselves first. But I think the counter example would be in the triple AAA space. Like, do you way more people know Bioshock Infinite than know Ken Levine? They're both famous, but the thing that's pushed is Bioshock Infinite. And the people who care, there's, as much as, yes, there's peop, indie consumers care about, people like us who are on the inside care very deeply about who makes the games and we care about these stories, but the vast majority of people don't give a fuck who makes these games. Sure, they just want to play something. Sure. And yeah, I think... You're not, you're not really aiming for those people, are you? No, well, I mean, some, uh, I don't know. I, I just feel like there's a... a I don't know what I want in life. All right, that's a difficult <laughs> question, Mojica. Jesus. Well, the the uh, I think the 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 thing about it is that it it's not a bad thing to say. Like, okay, this is gonna sound really stupid right now, but like to be like Gwen Frey's kind, you know, it's like or kind by Gwen Frey. You should do that. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that there's something like that that needs to be done because at the end of the day, you're kind of gaining a small following that will eventually become a little bit larger but the idea is that if these people enjoy your games they're going to be like day one purchasers of your game and as an indie where your fight for survival is in the social media space to some degree um getting your new idea out there like people really like kind because it's really unique and it has like a really cool art style and it's fun and people love jazz still so uh, that's that's really good. And I think that that stands out. But, you know, thinking about the future of your next games, you would also not want to have to work as hard to maybe like differentiate them. I mean, you still want to differentiate them and make them really special. But, you know, if you have a backing that's going to help support you, you know, as a developer, that works really well towards like your next games. It helps you relax a little bit more um, in terms of like, crippling doubt or whatever like i mean there's there's a lot of reasons why you would want to have sort yeah. of like your own i don't want to say your own personal following but i mean you're kind of like regardless of what you're saying right now like you already do have your own personal following like you know there's a twitter account that's got whatever six thousand eight thousand twenty thousand followers five thousand less 5, than that i think like, yeah <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you thanks Mojica. <laughs> we just we actually just reached five thousand like i think like a few weeks ago uh for proteus but i think the i think that's important just for from like a marketing perspective just to be able to have something that you know you can announce your next stuff and get people excited about it because you didn't have that you know a few years ago you know and as an indie that's all you really have is that that nugget of of marketing um so it's important and i think i think if people can go i really like this game and i want to find out who made it and it's there and it's really easy and okay so here's another analogy um and i think about this I think about this sometimes when I'm listening to music. So you know how in rap music, they always say their name? Yeah. There's a reason why they do that. I mean... Yeah. And I I don't think that's... Like, I'm not shy. Gwen Frey will be on the fucking whatever for kind. The box. There's no boxes anymore. (laughs) Like, I'll be in the credits, like, created by Gwen, directed by Gwen, whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. that'll... Of course. But, like, I'm not going to be shy about that. But what I am saying is I think... 
uh, more people know about Civ than Sid Meier, it's important to put the game first, I guess. Your sure. Proteus is going to have way more following than than Mojica, the Twitter yes. account, right? Yes. Like, and uh, I mean, I guess it's not even like an either or thing. Um, no, but it is. It is like so. The thing that's good about being like Gwen and having a game out is that the next time you'll immediately have a following because of that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's sort of the message that I guess I'm trying to say is that like you're building, you're not really, okay, this is going to sound cheesy. You're not building a legacy, but you're essentially sort of doing that. Like you're building up games and games and games and you're, and you're going to have your name on each of them. And that's going to help push more people to the games that you make because people like the games that you make. They like you as a developer. They've seen your talks or whatever. It, it just all encompassing helps. Like you are pushing the game but you also want to be making sure that people know that you're the one that did it. So that way, when the next game comes out and it's like, oh, um, I don't know, Kerfluffle by Jason and Mike. It's like, <laughs> okay, yeah, people, people are like, oh, yeah, those are the guys that made Proteus. Like, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's, there's a little bit of that. Like, oh, I'm going to check. Because, like, you know, when we were talking about the Steam six-second trailer thing. Um, me and my friends were. And I really like that. But, like, you know, it's it's that people are losing attention like a lot faster these days. And mm-hmm. if they go by your trailer and it wasn't as special, but maybe they're like, Oh, by Mike and Jason. And they're like, Oh wait, I love those guys. Like no, I, know, I, I love Gwen. You know, it's like, let me go yeah, check dude, it out. Like, I totally get what you're saying. I don't even know how we, st- why we started on this or with the, <laughs> what I disagreed <laughs> with initially, but cause like, you're right. It's important to put, it's important to put both brands forward. It's important to, like Gwen Frey will be on stuff. People, I have a Discord. It exists. But oh, I remember why we started this. I do think it's way more important for a multiplayer game, though. I think communities matter. Uh, the importance of building a community around your studio, I think, matters more for a multiplayer game because those are games where you need to engage your community far more. Um, or a game where you have mods because, like, nobody's gonna make a mod for a game that doesn't have where they don't know other people are playing it and stuff. Right. Yeah. There's there's definitely like an interesting. Um side bit to that as well i mean just getting like initially single player stuff right uh for like i guess the first i don't know year and we want to build a community around people making maps and you know you want there's like a there's like a side of it where you make a map and you want your friends to play it so i think we might be doing something special with that as well but um but the idea of getting like more and more people to come and play your maps and have like a community built around people making levels and sharing content mm-hmm. and just like having somebody building a prefab, like a door that like works or something like that and making different types of doors and different art sets that people can then just copy paste into their levels and stuff. Um, sounds really exciting. And I, I think it does, it, it is important to have a community um, around that type of stuff for sure. Like there's, there's, there's no doubt in my mind. Like you can't, you can't survive <laughs> without a community in something uh, something like that for sure. Yeah, and I do feel like you're leaning into something that I think uh, we're seeing a lot more people who want to be creators these days. A lot more people want to make things. There's, <laughs> I don't remember where I read this, but somebody at one point said that uh, the Unity is a meta game. Like people keep where the assets on the Unity store are like microtrans. <laughs> like yeah. it's <laughs> making games is fun and people are buying stuff to make games even though they'll never ship the things that they're making sometimes like not all people but some percentage of people do that for sure uh and i thought that was funny and i thought it was true and i think that's similar to like what do you see mario maker everything that uh, oh my God, i love dreams. mario maker yeah like people want to make 
stuff. Um, I don't know where I'm going with that, but yeah. We well, yeah, like think yeah for sure having 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 a community to to kind of like bolster that up and and to kind of share content and stuff. I, I think it's it's important to me at like sort of my core values as well with the. Uh, like when I was growing up in the modding community, there was a website called MapCore that I'm still a part of today, um, where you you know used to post your levels that you made, and generally speaking, it was for like Half Life Two or Counter Strike or something like that. Um, and the idea behind just not only the fact that like we're building a level editor, but like we're going to be using our level editor for every game going forward. So if you've worked in our level editor, you'll be able to make content like oh, for nice. any of our games going forward you have a long-term goal for your company jesus uh, yeah i mean we've i mean I, there's like a 10-year plan there's like a five-year plan there's like a one-year plan like where does the proteus uh launch fit into all this like how long are you have you announced it uh we haven't announced our date yet because we're kind of playing it by ear but yeah. um i realized that you have to kind of do a few things ahead of time what like like a few months ahead of time or is it like like you have to tell steam a month or something like that before you like you have to upload a build and they got to check it yeah and everything like that so that that question is 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 creeping up on me really fast <laughs> oh but, like uh, are we talking within a like early access is within a year right i mean we were aiming to do later this year yeah. like between september oh, october this year oh okay wow yeah yeah uh just early access which is like i think there's a there's a misconception like sometimes people do early access where it's like the game but it's got bugs in it where ours mm -hmm. is like ours is like here's a tiny chunk of the game we're going to be building it as we go and we're going to be doing constant updates up until the point where we're satisfied and we're going to be adding things to the level editor new enemies more guns more levels more texture sets things like that so the initial launch will be sort of a light one but it'll have like one of those developer messages that's let that lets you know like what this is and then we're gonna have like sort of like a long-term we have a very long-term plan uh for full release because we definitely want to like getting consoles like in my opinion like having a console release means that you have enough content on there that justifies a console release um people mm. expect like most of the game to be done if it's going to be on a console and um, also just because like you don't want to have to be putting every fucking patch through cert <laughs> <laughs> that's true uh and that's that's a that's a pain and the you know what um so i, yeah. I definitely don't want to have to do that too much but you know i mean when we were working at irrational doing cert for like one patch was a huge deal like the company stopped for like three months i mean it was gross and <laughs> that's a huge waste of time um i think games are leaning a little bit more towards the well, faster end right there's certain things there like i don't know about the the company didn't shut down for, after the launch the first launch sure but not for like after dlc I don't, we didn't shut down for three months after dlc yeah oh i don't remember um but like yeah Wait. essentially there's a window of time there where oh you're talking about between projects where every like the content people are rolled off after content lock and then the program no. is what? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I guess what I was saying was that it um, essentially like when you when you're putting out a patch for cert check, right? Mm -hmm. There's like a moment where nobody can really do anything. I mean, they can move on to other stuff, but you're waiting for that to come back. And then it's like, OK, now we can branch to do the next thing or whatever. Oh, yeah. 
Um, whereas like, you know, in, in indie space, like the way that Steam works is so great, at least in my opinion, and I'm sure Epic's game store, we haven't talked about that, thank God. <laughs> um, uh, the, the way that Epic's store will work too probably will be that, you know, you can, oh, I, I, needed to, I fixed a bug today. Let me just upload the build and click go and it'll just work, right? I feel like the, the console space needs to sort of catch up with that to some degree. And I do think that it's it's becoming a lot faster to be able to turn around that stuff. I, have, I don't know how fast, though. I have mixed feelings on this. For one thing, when you submit to cert, it's, you you should immediately branch because ideally if you submit to cert, you're done. Uh, the right. other thing is cert is a lot softer than it was several years ago. Like you get through cert, it's easier now. And the other yeah. thing is I do like that consoles have cert. I like the, um, I, I don't like gatekeeping, but I do... The kind of consumer that purchases a console is a consumer that doesn't want to deal with uh, soft locks or that's usually a less technical consumer, especially the Switch has a lot of kids. Uh, And and they just, you buy a console and you buy a console game specifically so you don't have to troubleshoot problems. Right. And so I totally understand why they have a rigorous process. Like that doesn't surprise me at all. No. I find other things far more irritating, just in general, like the onerous amount of documentation that you have to read in order to yep. get through these specific pipelines. I mean, I feel this way about the world in general, though. Like, I can't have a, <laughs> I can't have a meeting with Autodesk without installing their fucking standalone, like, <laughs> Skype clone that's somehow worse than Skype. Like, everybody, oh, no. every mega company's got to have their own version of every fucking thing. Oh, like, I gosh. lose it. But, and, and to a way, like, working with consoles is similar to this, right? There's no, you, you know, it's just a lot of bureaucracy and red tape and shit. That part I yeah, hate, but cert, that, the, the theory of cert and the idea that like, you should hit a certain standard of quality before you come out on a console. Yeah, sure. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. I like I like having that for sure. Uh, it's interesting though, because like when, when Question was, um, so they have like a few engineers and each of them sort of like took their own console. And there was like, Kane was like, I'm going to do, I think Kane did, xbox i think david did ps4 or something like that i don't remember but it was um it was like as soon as we they were like yep this is going to take us a few months and they had all this documentation that they had to go through and like everything had to be a certain way and like if you had anything in the game you had to document it and then send it to them for approval first and i mean it just sounded like like you have to basically start cert when you start building the game from prototype phase <laughs> well, like it's just it's, it's so nutty <laughs> it's all this stuff before cert does take a bit yeah it's too yeah. much for one person i broke down <laughs> so are we so at what point are, are like are you are you still in that are you still in that right now or yeah you, i haven't submitted passed? a cert yet um and i i haven't announced my launch date yet i'll announce soon but i you submit to cert one month before launch usually Okay, and okay. you, uh, before that, you have to get like, oh God, like, it's different on each platform and for each region. Uh, yeah. And it's not just, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of work to set up a storefront, but it's, yeah. so you got that, but, and there's a lot of work on the back to figure out how to upload builds in the back end. And so you got that, but there's also just like, uh, it's a combination of things that really do matter, like how they're going to pay you, setting up your bank account, putting in loads yep. of detail there and spreadsheets there and shit. Um, yeah. It's a combination of like each... Uh, you have to keep in mind these systems are capable of doing really complicated things. Like say some games have microtrans and also some games have DLC and you can have... Yeah. Uh, and 
all games have achievements for all of these things. And, and so setting up the, setting everything up on like various backend websites just takes time. Uh, yeah. Uh, luckily when we, we were approached by GOG, they wanted us to be on their website. Um, uh, we, they kind of did most of it for us. They were just like, yeah, just send us images and stuff. And, um, yeah, they kind of got everything hooked up for us, which was really oh, the, great. The PC platforms are always way easy. Like yeah. Steam, Epic, <laughs> GOG is easy. Yeah. Wait, so have you, um, I don't know if you've even, I mean, have you announced that you're doing consoles or what, which have, consoles? Uh, I said I'm coming to consoles. I haven't announced which ones yet. Okay. <laughs> For well, stupid reasons. <laughs> um maybe they can cut this part out but uh i was gonna say like uh is have you have you had a chance to look at the switch one yet have you been have you been looking at that at all i can either confirm or deny the I, oh, okay i think kind would look great on the switch though <laughs> why what's yeah, your question i think i think it would well i was just wondering like what the what that looked like and if it's a if it's a really grueling process let's say hypothetically if somebody Hypo was hypothetically i would say that's probably the easiest of the available consoles right now Okay, good. That's uh, that's hypothetically really good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, like, I'm not looking forward to that process, but I think, um, I think we're probably gonna end up like so, like, you know how sort of like the release windows and things like that, you know, early access, doing DLC, whatever. Uh, like, we're probably gonna end up using. So, well, obviously, we're using our Kickstarter funds for just only game development stuff. So everything game development. Uh, we're gonna, you know, use it to pay for like servers and and whatever, um, and then also, like possibly even helping get the game ported or something like that. There, there's another conversation that we haven't had yet, which would probably maybe could get pushed back to like another episode or something yeah, like should, that. But... We should probably talk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's there's so much to talk about. Like just uh, in general, like I always. Um, you know, like when you're, I think what's really great about your podcast right now is that it, it it's geared towards indies, in my opinion. Like it, it helps like people think their stuff through and like, yeah, like, oh, I never thought about that. I've really fallen from grace over here. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love being indie. I don't know if I can go back. This is great. Yeah, I, I can't say if I, if I really consider myself indie yet. Like, I feel like I have to ship a game first uh, before I can be considered. Like, you know, like Mohika, the queen would come out with a sword. you were never AAA. You were indie. <laughs> At a rational, I don't know. How I feel about that <laughs> <laughs> no, in the best way, in the good way. In the good way, okay. Yeah, not, like, what's the bad way. way that people are indie? Uh, yeah. Let's not go there. Actually, <laughs> they're like overzealous and they never finish anything. Uh, that would be the bad way. Oh, but, I think there's a lot of different cliches about bad ways indies. We'll talk about that next podcast. Mohika yeah. and Gwen go on about the ways indies do it wrong. Yeah, well, publishers would be a good topic, I think, um, uh, yeah. just because. Uh, like my, I don't know like what your like standard belief about it is, but I do feel like, in some ways, it's people always trying to kind of sneak in and take your money. <laughs> like that's the way it feels mm -hmm. right now for indies. It can feel like that, especially with the bad ones. And I will say, like, because uh, you mentioned earlier, getting a publisher just for consoles. Any publisher, you, uh, like, it, it surprises me how many people don't realize this. But if you get a publisher for a console SKU they're going to want a cut of your PC SKU as well. And the argument they're going to uh, use is that they, uh, any marketing that they do on the consoles is also going to um, have splash back on the PC build or on the, on the yeah. PC release. And they're like, well, okay. if we're marketing the game, we deserve a cut of that. And it won't be as large 
necessarily. Like that could break out in different mm. ways depending on your deal. And we can talk about yeah. the different deals. We could have a I'm whole I'm going to have to be like, I'm sorry, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. I just, and yeah. then you'll have a, it depends. Well, we should have a whole podcast about that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I have pretty strong opinions about, I mean, I guess, yeah, we could talk about that I another mean, time. I, I'm not kidding. I, I had strong anti-publisher opinions for my first one too. And then we got a publisher and then we were no longer like, it made the difference for the flame and the flood. Oh yeah. I mean, I could see that. I could see that for like, sure. Like they were the ones that put us in the switch. They were the ones that saw the, the benefit of the switch before we did. Cause we, we picked up curve on the flame and the flood just to port the game to PS4. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't go into the details of the deal or whatever, but, uh, we worked with them again later. Like part of the contract was they could, uh, we, we could negotiate other SKUs. They, they set up the switch. We saw as soon as we had a publisher, we were suddenly in steam sales like I, you don't end up in those steam sales by accident just because oh, yeah. maybe if your game is really good, the magical al- algorithm will help you, but it sure shit didn't help us until we had a publisher and that really? publisher leaned on steam and then all of a sudden we were in deals and that makes that's, a massive difference. That's interesting. Yeah. I was always thinking like, cause I know that sales are pretty much one of the driving forces for your indie game. Mm-hmm. Like just getting on a sale can really do some good damage uh depending i guess yeah yeah that's interesting that's a very interesting thing my current thinking though is something i think i've actually been saying for a while now is publisher is a last resort if you can't get what you're trying to get through first party yeah so get steam or epic games to give you some money or um, (laughs) (laughs) either one you know whichever ones happens to be you know what doors always open uh, you know, yeah. I, uh, honestly, like that's a whole another interesting discussion. Like, like at first, like I think the consumer reaction to that is so overblown. But I was trying to convince people that like the developer version is it's good for developers. <laughs> like, like I don't think people realize that uh, Epic are s- essentially creating the next triple A games where like they're they're giving enough money to these developers that they're going to be able to create studios going forward they're not gonna be i mean it's just there's so much good to that discussion next next podcast we talk about the epic grants and we talk about (laughs) the different platforms and all the things that i think microsoft are doing right and how how to approach publishers if you do wanted to go that sure yeah we can go over that like we can i have opinions We should yeah. we should wrap this up though because we've been talking for over an hour and oh, poor Chris true, Light true. has to edit this shit. Oh yeah 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 yeah. Um, I mean, there's definitely like I, f- I feel like as as indies currently and like how we got into being indie and like how we're self sustaining is a, I think obviously you know yours is a little more straightforward I think with the with the Epic Grant stuff but uh, yeah I think I think it's really interesting because AAA devs want to hear more about how triple a devs go indie successfully <laughs> or at all um yeah. even if it's a failure but they can still keep doing it because i know i just know so many people that want to do it full time yeah. if they can I, so like it's always a good thing to share advice on that even though the, everybody's different by the but, time you're ready to give them advice your advice will be old yeah it's true it's so true uh i remember i think it was rami had like a talk about that it was like don't listen to me like he had like a i think it was like a gdc talk where it was like yeah like my advice is bad now don't listen to me yeah there's that and there's 
right now, especially because we don't know between streaming and subscription services, like what it's going to be like by the time Proteus is out in a year or two, everything you did for Proteus is not going to work again. Yeah, probably. That's, that's the scary thing. I, 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 I do not necessarily welcome subscription-based services, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Anyways. All right. This has been a long one, but I had a yeah. lot of fun, and we will definitely do this again. Yeah. Uh, anytime. Just let me know. All right. This has been Gwen Frey and Jason Mojica, and you've been in the Dialogue Box.